AJ Jones, how the heck are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> I uh, have a slight cold. My AJ, what deep voice you have. Uh, just kidding. It's me. <laughs> Shall we talk about what's happening? I guess so. Welcome to episode 67 of Keeping Up with the Joneses. AJ Jones is sick. Mm-hmm. She took some uh, pain relief medicine last night, had a horribly bad allergic reaction to it, and has been out for the count. That's why I never take unlabeled drug. <laughs> Sorry. It was just hippie nonsense. Yeah. And anyway, I won't go into details of what happened, but she's not good. So I asked our good friend Josh Parsons, whose wife Sarah is also sick, mm-hmm. if he would come over and stand in for AJ. I believe you said bro night on the podcast. I think I could have misread that. That could have been a different text. You know what? It's college football. Let's just talk college football. Oh, that's right. I love sports teams. Me and you should do a sports podcast for people who don't like sports. Absolutely. I love it. Um, usually at the start of the week, we catch up on our week. So how was your week? I had a good week. It was a a busy week, but good. Positive. What was, what was the highlight of your week? Hmm. Uh, okay. I'm going to nerd out about some things, but uh, I've been learning all about this program called Planning Center and... Is that like a fertility program? It is. So I have to take these weird pills, which like I said, I only do the late. I'm just kidding. Uh, No, it is a... So if we have any uh, worship pastors or worship leaders listening, Planning Center is your friend. It's it's this basically software program that kind of does your scheduling for you. You just input names and, you know, songs and things like that. And... uh, it just makes it easier. So, you know, it for scheduling, for doing set lists. And then there's this other cool thing that goes with Planning Center that allows you to see your set list with your charts and everything on an iPad. And you can link the iPads for everyone on stage and switch songs all at the same time. That's even if you use charts. But I don't know. It's, it's the be, beginning stages of something cool. Am I right in thinking that you never used to be that into computers and technology or is that a judgment no you're right i uh i had a flip phone till about a few years ago and how how are we even friends well uh i think you reached out to me as like an evangelistic type thing right you were lost exactly and now you have an iphone an ipad and a mac (laughs) and a mac yeah it is two macs a 2008 or 2009 mac so I'm probably due for an upgrade soon. You are it's absolutely getting slower. due for an upgrade. <laughs> do you want to know what the highlight of my week was? I do. I'd love to know the highlight of your week. The highlight of our week, and I think I speak for AJ Jones in this particular situation, is we had dinner with the very wonderful Lyle and Allison Phillips on Tuesday oh, night. I love Lyle and Allison. And now, Lyle's been on our podcast before, but let's imagine we have people who don't know who Lyle and Allison mm-hmm. are. Describe Lyle and Allison Phillips to us. Uh, well, first of all, they're probably probably one of the most beautiful couples that the right. that the Lord has blessed with his beauty. That uh, uh, that works as a sentence. <laughs> um, so Lyle is a pastor. He and Allison are both the pastors at Iris, Iris Nashville Church here in town. And somebody told me after Lyle spoke, they're like, even the laz- laziest of people could want to go and change the world after listening to Lyle. Absolutely. They just have this contagious energy and passion for the Lord and, and for they, the lost. And, and they just had baby Isaiah. They did. Who's gorgeous. So cute. Have you noticed that Lyle and me share some physical attributes? 
Absolutely. Because you guys both do CrossFit, right? Well, mine's all natural. Like my right. physique, athletic build, just natural. I mean, seriously, I can just eat Cheetos and I look like this. Exactly. Lyle has to just be CrossFit every single day. Who's the king of Periscopes? I would definitely say Lyle. He he is on a Periscope at least once a day and he's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm too nervous to use Periscope. I agree. I made one video and it was of my dog and I didn't say a word. <laughs> and my wife told me... Uh, if for anyone to watch this, you at least say something like, hi, I'm playing with my dog. Check her out. She's cute. <laughs> Instead, it was just this quiet video of my dog chewing on a stick in the yard. I thought, well, I can't this believe is I missed that. It was, well, it was easy to miss. Yeah. So Lyle and Allison Phillips, check them out on Instagram, Periscope, Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's social media takeover, really. Our Micah John, our two-year-old who's going to be three is going to preschool this week. Oh, So this week was going in and filling in all the forms and meeting his teacher, and he loves it. Every day he's asked to go to school, which is exciting. Oh, that's great. And then I guess the only other two things that we got up to this week was I spoke twice, or I guess three times this week, Monday night at M&A on the church, and yes. this morning on Honor. Oh, it was so good. But you also played worship both times I spoke. I did. Yeah. Is there ever a Sunday that you haven't played in worship? Uh, if I'm not there, usually I'm not playing but <laughs> sorry so no so well not so much i mean yeah the goal isn't to play every time but i just enjoy it so much and you really do i, can I get asked to play so i who, guess who asked you because <laughs> aren't you the worship pastor <laughs> i am now but i didn't used to be uh yeah i just would get scheduled by whoever was leading and uh so that's how it happened a whole lot i've been at great how long have you been at grace Center? uh Five years this month. And you've been playing on the worship team for four and a half? Uh, about four and three quarters. Right. <laughs> so my question is, you guys make it look like it's magic up there. Mm. I get the, okay, we're playing a song and we're singing the song. I get that, right? I get that most of our musicians are super talented, can all play by ear, right? And so they can just play the song. The magic that happens is, of course, doing the song. But between songs are when you guys go in a prophetic flow. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what that's. What was that like to begin with? Because you're an accomplished musician. Was that easy? Was it just another expression of uh, musical creativity? Or was it like, what is happening? I think for me, I think I was fortunate to learn guitar in a way where I learned by ear and less by like learning notes on a page and right. you know, playing what I see. So I would play what I feel or play what I hear. And there were, so I, you know, used to just practice along to whatever I was listening to at the time when I was in high school, which was not the greatest music, but I did get a few Leonard Skinner and Beatles albums, which helped me with my chops. Thanks, dad. And, uh, but I would just, rather than like getting a chart or a tab or a, you know, chord sheet, I would just play along and try to, try to learn what I was hearing. Right. And but I didn't, I kind of thought that everybody else learned that way too. And then I would meet musicians, uh, more classical musicians, like somebody who played cello and they were asking about playing in worship and they were like, well, do you have music printed out? And I was like, no, we just play along to the song. She's like, how do you know what to play? And I, that was the first time I think that I thought, oh, you don't just like hear something? And play along. Right. So, so when I first started playing guitar, at like age 12, uh, 
my dad was a pastor and he and my mom led worship a lot at our church. And as soon as we knew like a few chords, they were like, oh, you're going to play with us on Sunday. And so they just had us playing along. And a lot of times it was ad-libbing. A lot of times it was, my dad was, I would say now was a very prophetic worship leader. I don't know that he ever planned a set. I think he maybe would just, you know, back then it was hymns. So he'd maybe pick two or three, but then he would flow in and out of different things too. So that um, all makes sense. Everything you've just said makes sense. Yeah. But that's you. Yeah. And there's six or seven other people on the platform. So it would make sense if you're just doing a solo and you could just go in and out. But seven of you are not communicating and you're all flowing. And sometimes our prophetic spontaneous songs are 15, 20 minutes long. Yeah. And they're amazing. How do you know what you're doing? I think, I think it's kind of like, if you think of music as a language, it's almost like talking. Like, mm. so if, if, if worship via music is a form of like giving your thanks to the Lord or like speaking in tongues, I think there's a certain element of you just play and you know, there is a certain order to it. Like we'll try and give signals. So like if we try to leave space, but rather than everybody just play whatever they're feeling all at once, we try to have it. I mean, sometimes that happens and sometimes it happens that we're, we end up playing the same thing, which is good. Other times, uh, if somebody gets something, the rest of the band will kind of support what that person has got. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I never thought of it like that. So if you think of it in terms of like, so if somebody, you know, music in a way, everything is context. So there's a context of the key that you're in. There's a context of the tempo. There's the context of uh, the feeling in the room. Right. You know, whether you're in a major key or a minor key. And so if there, if there's this really uplifting time in the room or it just feels like God's presence is there and, you know, joy is being released or something, you're probably not going to go into some minor chord dirge, you know. Right. <laughs> We're all just worms in the <laughs> dirt, you know. <laughs> so there's an element of like that feeling of it. And then if music is the language that you have to express that, I don't know, you just kind of know. That makes a lot of sense. So when you said it's like a conversation, like if I go out to a dinner party and there's seven other people there, I'm not worried about how the conversation is going to go. I'm right. not waiting for the script. It's like, how did you plan what to say? But you just oh, didn't take it in turns, and something you might say might inspire me to say something different than what I was going to say. Exactly. That's brilliant. I never thought of that. I didn't either. That must have been the Holy Spirit. What do you think it takes? Do you think it takes, obviously, musical ability, but, but I know musicians who wouldn't be able to move outside the framework of what's on the sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the key ingredients are in being able to flow like that? Sarah and I were just out at uh, Worship You at Bethel in July, and they were talking about some of their core values and stuff. And one of them was excellence. And I forget who said it. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering your quote, if you're listening, but it was something along the lines of, "Don't, don't let your lack of skill limit what God wants to do. So on the one hand, there's excellence. And then on the other hand, you don't want your your skill that you've developed to hinder what God wants to do if he wants to do something outside of what you've learned. Right. 
So then the so there's excellence, and then I think on the other hand there's risk, because stepping out is a risky thing. You know, what if it's wrong? Yeah, what if it's in the wrong? And I've done that before. <laughs> I've stepped out in the wrong key and wrong time signature, and you know probably in the wrong place. So, uh, yeah, I would say it takes a certain level of excellence to to be able to confidently take that risk. Because right. I think confidence is the other thing. Because, you know, it's like praying. If you if you start praying and everything you say you feel unsure about, or, you know, other people will have a hard time kind of attaching their faith to your prayer. Versus if you're like, the Lord's given me something and I'm going to step out and play it. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. Totally does. So like risk and excellence and then a, with excellence, a certain level of confidence. Because I've met musicians who are incredibly excellent but aren't confident. They're confident right. in certain aspects or certain uh, surroundings, certain atmospheres, like if it's all planned out. But if it got to a point where it was like, yeah, just play what you feel, they wouldn't know what to do because they've been used to playing what they're told or playing what they right. read or I'm pretty sure you told me this but I might be wrong but I remember you were talking about the first time first few times you started playing with Alberto and Kimberly Rivera so for people who might not be familiar with Alberto and Kimberly Rivera I'm so sorry that you have not experienced them um stop what you're doing right now go find some of the stuff on iTunes and buy it truly it's amazing and so th- you know, Alberto and Kimberly are incredible musicians, like in, in and of themselves, incredible musicians. They also flow in the Holy Spirit like few other people I've met. So just to kind of set that up, I, you're an incredible musician. You also know how to flow with the Holy Spirit. But it, it, am I imagining this? Or did you tell me that when you first started playing with them, you suddenly realized, I'm out of my depth, and I might have just used words that you might not be comfortable with. No, not at all. I still feel out of my depth whenever I play with them. Like, I I would say I'm more comfortable now. Uh, and some of that comes from probably knowing what to expect. But the first few times, yeah, like you said, they are just, they're just on a different wavelength. And I mean that, like, in a good way, in right. an honoring way. Like, so if you had a bunch of people in a room like speaking in tongues together and it was like, now you're going to respond to what they said in tongues, but you're still unsure about like how to do it or what it's for or whatever. That's kind of like how I felt the first time I played with Alberto because he started playing something that was almost like a salsa beat. He plays keys. So like this salsa bossa nova movement type thing right. on keys and singing something and I, th- I was kind of looking down and looking around and thinking, where do I fit? What key are we in? <laughs> so, uh, for now, I've gotten to the point where I kind of, I can, I feel like I can keep up. Uh, Alberto challenges me on this a lot. I kind of stay in the parameters of what I know, right? Because I, I'm like, oh, I know I can do this excellently, and so I'll try and do that. But he's consistently he's one of those people that is consistently pushing you to he's like don't think about the music just play just worship with your instrument <laughs> i don't know why he sounded like speedy gonzalez when i said that but uh he's yeah 
when you talk about pushing the envelope, those guys push the envelope. Oh, they absolutely do. But they're unbelievable, aren't they? I don't it's know incredible. anybody like them. I don't know how she can sing like she sings from a sitting down position. Yeah, I don't and either. I don't know how he can play how he plays without ever looking at his fingers. I yeah. know that's rudimentary, but he can play in... I mean, he's just got to be one of the most talented piano players mm-hmm. ever. But every time I look at him, I'm like, at least look at your fingers. At least make it look the slightest bit complex. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're just incredible. So that to me, that would be like, like he speaks Portuguese and English, but he's fluent in music. And right. so he can say anything at any time in music. Whereas I might... I'm like, oh, I'm still learning the language, so I can say these phrases where he's just like, oh, no, I'm fluent in this. That's a very good way of putting it. Josh, you're knocking out of the park with Wisdom oh, and Revelation you. tonight. You know, I'm starting a Twitter with my own quotes. <laughs> Not really. All right, you mentioned you were out at Worship You at Bethel. Yes. Those guys are amazing, aren't they? Oh, it's so, it, yes, all of them are incredible. Talk to me about your top... And I know you're a common player, so this might send you for a spin. Top four things that you were personally impacted by. Top four things. Help people understand. If people, I'm pretty sure everybody who listens to this podcast knows about Bethel. Mm-hmm. But they might not be familiar with Worship You. Start with what is Worship You? What does it look like? Just give us a brief outline. So Worship You, I heard about it maybe a year or two ago, a couple years ago. And it's always intrigued me, but basically it's a two-week program for anybody who's involved in worship or, uh, you know, wants to be, whether you play an instrument, whether you're a worship leader, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a dancer, you know, you are an artist, like a painter. And you basically go for two weeks and you spend glorious amounts of time in worship with people from Bethel, like Brian and Jen and Amanda Cook and, you know, Jeremy Riddle, Stephanie Gretzinger, like everybody, all of those amazing people. So they're leading worship every So they're day. leading worship, but then they have guests in, like people that are friends of theirs, like Leland or John Mark McMillan or Jonathan and Melissa Helser, which, of course, you know, we love them. So... You know, it's all these incredible people. They're leading worship, and then they're a lot of them are speaking on things as well. And they'll speak on topics such as uh, walking under authority, um, growing your team, like everything from the super practical to super spiritual, like right. how to conquer fear and doubt when you're writing, how to, uh, you know, just abiding in the Holy Spirit and prophetic worship, and things you, like that. And you had classes all day? We had classes from... We worship would start around 10 a.m. in the morning, and there were, I think, like four classes every day that were required for everyone to be there, and then the whole afternoon and evening was filled with electives. So, you know, that's where you would have more specific classes like beginner's dance, uh, flag waving, painting, guitar parts for Bethel, uh, bass parts for, you know, Bethel songs. So you can actually go in and sit in classes where the musicians who recorded all those parts are sitting there and saying, oh, here's how you play that line. And, you know, here's two guitar players. Here's how we write parts to complement one another. And if you have two guitar players on your team, you can do that too, you know? Wow. So just create, like, basically just stewarding everything that they, that God has given them incredibly well and then giving it away, which is, it just blows my mind. So we, I mean... 
we went because I wanted to go last year just for fun. And then this year, I think we talked about before, where we were asked to be the worship and creative arts pastors here at the church at Grace Center. Surprise! Yeah. And I thought, gosh, uh, I really don't want to screw this up. So I'm going to get as much wisdom as I possibly can from Worship You because they do so many of these things so well. And so back to your original question about like top four things, one of the things was uh, their excellence level. Some Someone and I were talking about this the other day, like, you know, like if you, f- you feel like you know a lot about a person when you walk into their house, that you see what they value. So if their house is really nice and they have, you know, nice furniture and things are in order, like they probably don't have to ask you not to put your feet on the table. You know what I mean? Because you walk in and you see the things that they value in your surroundings. So that's how I felt when I went there. Like the stage and everything was super well lit and uh, just the the whole um, presentation of it. Like in terms of life languages, they must have very high producers. (laughs) Right. Because it was just amazing. So everything looked amazing. Uh, and then the sound, the mix was incredible. And there was no question of like, oh, do you think they practice? Like everything. I mean, it wasn't like it was, you know, perfection for the sake of perfection. It was f- perfection because they know that they're presenting something. You know what right, I mean? I do. So like people are coming to worship. And so they want to present A, their worship to the Lord that is excellent. And B, allow people to join in something that's excellent. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, yeah, the excellence level across the board and just the way everybody everybody who spoke, everybody who led worship, you know, everybody that was there, there it didn't seem like there was any question of whether or not they were supposed to be there. You know what I mean? I do. So that was, which kind of leads me to one of the other things that stood out to me was the identity piece. Like, everybody seemed to have their identity just rooted in the Lord and everything that they did, it felt like was just like an outflow of that identity. It wasn't like they were trying to, like, so if a person was speaking, it didn't ever feel like they were having to convince themselves while they were speaking that they should be speaking. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, I'm speaking and because the Lord has made me awesome and because he's awesome and he's inside me so therefore i have something valuable to say you know what i mean and no arrogance about it but just i just felt like i was listening with such i I took like over a hundred pages of notes because i was just like this is so amazing i mean there was one point where i thought he could have said it's good to tie your shoes every day and i would have written it down thinking what is this wisdom i have never heard before (laughs) you know it was just so good um yeah, so those two things were incredible. Excellence identity. I think one of the other things that I was really impacted by was that so many of them, so Brian and Jen, and obviously uh, Bill and Benny, Eric, they've all been at that church for years. So I remember uh, the first day being in worship, and you know I've been a worship pastor for. 12 minutes, I think, (laughs) when we walked in. And so the first day we walk in and I'm just, I feel like super excited, like, oh my gosh, Lord, if it was your will to do anything like this, you know, the production level, all of that, if if you wanted to bring any of that back to our church, I am willing, you know? 
and it's their first worship set. I just thought, there's no way we can do this. This is so, this is way too good. You know, this is, who am I but a worm in the dirt? You know, I should not be a worship pastor. And uh, I remember it was, I don't even know what it was related to, but Brian said, man, we've been doing this 15 years now. And this year just feels amazing. And immediately I was like, oh, oh. You, you've been doing this 15 years. I can cut myself some slack. Yeah. A, I can cut myself some slack. And B, I don't need to feel the pressure to churn out this type of result that, is, that you've been building for 15 years. But with that, one of the things that I was so struck by, so I grew up in a church environment where if the church didn't like the pastor, they could vote you out. Right. <laughs> So, uh, my dad was a pastor and he didn't get voted out a lot. Well, he didn't get voted out at all, but other churches, their pastor would like get voted out and then my dad would get hired at that church or something. Does that make sense? So we just moved around a lot when we were little. And so I had never come to think of it. I think this church well, there was one church when I was a kid that I was at for like six years, but I would say our church now is one of the churches I've been at the longest. I just thought all churches were like that. I thought everybody just moved around and churches switched pastors a lot and stuff. So when Brian, uh, when Bill was talking about how all of them had been there for like 30 years, in fact, Danny Silk showed a video of his wedding where Chris Valentin was there and... Bill Johnson and Benny were singing at the wedding and stuff. And I just thought, you guys have all, you guys have so much history. Right. So that was, I would say that's the third thing that impacted me so much was just the history that was there. It was just amazing. And I, I think for the first time I thought, oh, being a pastor doesn't mean you're going to have to move a lot or you're going to be shipped from place to place kind of thing. I don't know. It's just all the things I'm still working out in now being a pastor. So Brilliant. Let's see. Fourth thing, everyone was super nice. So nice. I got to meet a lot of people, which was great. But they were all so kind. <laughs> That's good to know, isn't it? It really, I, w- I was really impacted by it. Like, oh, you know, and I'd say, oh, I'm from Nashville. Oh, we love Nashville. You know, just everybody had kind things. There was one person that, they said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Nashville. And they're like, oh, do you think you're better than everyone? <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't tell if they were joking. Turns out they were joking, but I just didn't get their dry sense of humor. And I was so worried that I would offend someone that I just was like, no, Wait, who told you that? No, I don't think I'm... And then I realized they were kidding. Like, mm. oh, okay. Dude, I got some listeners' questions for you. Oh, absolutely. I don't think you can answer the first one, but I'm pretty sure you can answer the second one. Okay, the first one says this. This is from Jordan. And he says, good evening or morning or afternoon. My name is Jordan, and I'm writing you from the oven that is Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah, I don't think we've got anything to complain about in Nashville. I've been to Dallas. It was 94 degrees today, high of. Yeah. I wonder what it was in Dallas. Probably hotter. Hmm. My wife and I are huge fans of the podcast. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your ministry and how you communicate the way you do life. Alan mentioned a nervous or mental breakdown in his early 20s, and I was curious as to whether there's an episode regarding this experience, and I missed it, or if you're all planning to do an episode regarding this topic in the future. Love you guys. Keep up the good work. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for your very kind um, question. My whole breakdown in my early 20s is something I 
regularly include in a lot of the teaching that I do. It's like a testimony that I talk about when I teach, but I have never really taught on that whole experience per se. I did look through all our episodes. Episode 42 talks about how I got saved and how I met the Holy Spirit, which is a much better story. Is this the one you wanted me to answer? Yeah, if you can So basically, that. Alan's body shut down. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry. We don't have a specific episode on that. Maybe we'll talk about it at some point. Maybe that would be helpful for people. Um, I have a second question here from Nathan. He asked this question. He says, I heard the teachings on the church, part one and two. These are the teachings we did at Emanate, mm-hmm. which I found very powerful and encouraging. But some questions were raised. I bet they were. I got lots of questions, and I really appreciate the questions that people wrote in. I'm going to do my best to get back to you. I have no plans to leave my church, and I try and pray for my best to submit to godly authority. Yeah, I need wisdom to know when it's healthy or not. My questions are, and I want to hear your answers, Josh. Mm-hmm. Question one and two are pretty much the same, but question one is, how do you know if the church you're attending is abusive in its authority, and it may be healthier to leave the church for a place of greater health and life? And question two is, how do I distinguish when I'm not submitting to godly authority or God's process versus, is this church potentially derailing me or being abusive? That is a really good question. These are the questions These are the, like, yeah. That's the questions you get. Can you repeat the question one more time? <laughs> I was thinking about Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says this, it says, obey your leaders. And on face value, that's terrifying for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But the Greek word used for obey there is patho, which means allow yourself to be persuaded by. So mm. my test is, do your leaders enforce control mm. or do they give you input and then give you the freedom to make your own decisions? That's a great point. So from my perspective, I have enough trouble managing my own life without trying to manage other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad and willing to give input to people with the understanding that it's their life and they're seeking me out for counsel. So I'll give you, you don't have to follow it. Yeah. But I'm, you know, privileged that you'd include me in the decision making process, but it's not my job to make you do something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, occasionally in the years I've been pastoring, I might turn up the volume on, on what I'm saying because I'm either thinking you're not hearing me or you don't realize how bad a decision this is going to be. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I absolutely realize this is your decision to make and it's not my job to control you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good difference. And it goes on to say in that same verse, let them do this. Mm-hmm. So let them lead you. The onus is on you to let them do it. So they don't. So I'm fully aware that in the people that I'm leading, the people that I'm pastoring, it's not my job to tell them what to do. Right. It's their job to let me lead them. Right. And so if they don't want to be led by me, in one sense, that's that's not my job to 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 make that happen. I think something that you said a minute ago about I think a good way to know if your leaders are abusive would be are they enforcing their leadership on to you or are they inviting you to be quote unquote governed by their leadership right so because an invitation is much different than a you know being forced i think that's a good point because as leaders it's tough because you know being i've been a leader in the church for a little while and it's really difficult to want the best for people and sometimes want the best for people more than they want it. Right. And so I would say there is an actual struggle sometimes to not move into like 
you know, controlling people's decisions. Like, gosh, would you just do this? You can't see it, but I can see how this will help you. Right. You know what I mean? So, but you, you consistently have to hold your hands back and say, this is actually your life. This isn't, this isn't my job to control you or, or decide for you. I can only present, you know, either information or if you ask me for help, I can, I can help you, but you have to decide what to do with it. Right. The good news is I don't think there's a thin line between an honoring leader and an ungodly leader. I think there's a chasm. Yeah. So a lot of the stories that I've heard from people who think, I don't know if my leader's abusive or not. As soon as you hear the story, you're like, oh, dear God, that's absolute abuse. Mm, You know, people who are saying, hey, if you don't do this, then the anointing's going to lift off your life. If you don't do this, you know, God's going to... You're just like, okay, that is so manipulative. That's so controlling. That's so clearly not the heart of God. But sometimes when you're in the midst of it, you get caught up in it, which is why it's right. really, really good to have outside counsel. Exactly. And people who are not vested, you know, either way. Yeah, I think that's great. All right, are you ready for question three? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to build a better church when church culture is toxic while still being humble, honoring broken people and leaders and in the will of God? This is a really great question. Uh, Super easy to answer, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, honestly, it's something that I've thought about a lot because I used to play guitar for a living and I would travel all over the country and play in different churches. And so I'd be in a lot of different church environments. And like I said before, my dad was a pastor, so I grew up in a lot of different church environments because right. we moved around a lot. I think in all of that, so I... I've been playing guitar about 20 years and I've been traveling like playing guitar for probably 16 years. And in all that time, I've not seen a perfect church, you know, and you guys have been all over the world. I don't think that there is a perfect church. I think at some point you have to decide, God, are you calling me to this church? Is this my home? And if so, What's my role here? Is right. it just to submit and go and whatever? Great. Is it to invest in my community and the people around me? Great. And I think, you know, it's it's much easier to point fingers and criticize than it is to actually do something about it. And sometimes doing something about it is just being a nice person. Like if a person complains that uh, their church, that they don't do community well or something, well, what if you just always believed the best about you and your leaders and the people around you and you had people over for dinner once a month and then they did the same after a couple of years, your church is doing community really well. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so I think it's that whole thing about being part of a solution rather than consistently just pointing at the problem. And it's, you know, it's, it's difficult. Sometimes it's an, it's an uphill climb but I think if you position in your heart to just focus on Jesus and be a part of the solution, and even if it's super small steps, like being a nice person or inviting people over to dinner or just not complaining or not giving ear to someone who is complaining about something they don't like, because gossip and, you know, people talking about how unhappy they are, that just grows like a poison ivy or something. <laughs> uh, that's really good. 
I was thinking about, I've been thinking about building a better church a lot. You know, the last two weeks of study for teaching on the church just got me so excited about mm-hmm. the church. So thrilled I'm a church leader. Like, absolutely love it. I'm, I'm get, I just ordered a bunch of books off Amazon. I've read, I'm on my third book this week about churches. That's amazing. Oh, I'm just loving it. And uh, so I've been thinking a lot about this. It's a great question. I think whenever you talk about a church being toxic, mm. it, it's probably time to find a new church. But before you do that, it's probably a good idea to ask yourself, who's determined that it's toxic? Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think probably the key to the question you're asking is inner healing. I think mm. healed up leaders are in short supply. And if you get your leaders healed of things like competition and rivalry and jealousy mm-hmm. and insecurity and control and shame and you know all those ugly things that most Christians try and manage rather than evict, right? then your leaders become healthier mm-hmm. and then your body becomes healthier. Yeah. It's a lot like eating healthy, which you and I both obviously do yeah. and work out. Yeah. You can't keep eating terribly and expect different results. Right. I think that might be filed under do as we say, not as we do. Right, exactly. Did you bring the Cheetos? I did. Okay, oh, perfect. they're over here. All right, perfect. The last question. Gosh, Nathan, you asked four questions for the price of one. This is brilliant. He asks, is praying daily for my church enough to cause revival and change of a healthy kind to happen in church? I'll tell you what I once heard John Arnott say at a pastor's meeting. People would often ask him, why your church? Why, why did Toronto end up in revival? And he said he didn't know. Hmm. And people would say, well, were you praying for revival? And he said, sure, but we weren't praying for revival more than any other church. Hmm. And so I know that prayer for anything is really, really good. But I also think you can cultivate revival in your own life far easier than you can revival in an organization, especially if you're not a leader in that organization. Mm -hmm. So by all means, pray for revival for your church and for your nation. But actually asking the Lord to stir up hunger in your own heart and to, you know, and I don't mean this, this sounds like it's a rebuke. I'm absolutely not rebuking you. Just in my own personal experience, it's amazing that when you're having your own personal revival that you think everything else is in revival, mm-hmm. even if it isn't. So, sure, go for prayer, but I, I, don't think, I don't think the question's the right question. I don't think God measures amounts. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like by the time you've, you've prayed for revival 68 times, then it'll hit. Right. I think, it's a, I think it, the whole topic of revival... I love it, and then I'm also sometimes really confused by it. So one of the things that uh, Bill Johnson talked about when we were at Worship You was talking about how your church, the way you do worship, the length of the sermon, all that stuff, all of that is the wineskin, but his presence is the wine, and we can't neglect the wine and favor the wineskin. Right. And at the same way, you can't not take care of your wine skin because it's what supports the wine. So I've been thinking a lot about like revival and just, you know, I've had seasons in my life where I've just kind of locked myself in my closet and just prayed all the time and stuff, which is awesome. Those seasons are incredible. But I also wonder about like the other part of, you know, what it means to live out the gospel and like, helping one another and praying for one another. And I think there's a certain thing about not 
not wanting something just for yourself so much that you forget about the people around you. Does that make sense? It does. So, so sometimes when I think about revival, I'm like, what am I, what am I actually praying for? Am I praying for that stuff would just, you know, blow up and we'd just be at the church all the time? Like, while that would be cool, I also am hoping that people's marriages would be great and that uh, people get good jobs and aren't in debt anymore. You right. know what I mean? So, as as much as I love revival, sometimes I wonder, what exactly do I want to happen to this? Is it just because it's exciting and it's different from just meeting on Sundays? Or is there, you know... So much of God that you can't fit him into one service. Right, yeah. Which I, I love all that. I think the latter. Yeah. Well, Josh Parsons, you do a very good A.J. Jones impersonation. Oh, thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to come and wax lyrical with me on a microphone. Um, if you would like the show notes for this week's episode, go to alanandaj.com slash 67. If you'd like to ask us a question that we'll try and answer on air, go to alanandaj.com slash ask. This morning at Grace Center, we announced our Heaven Declares conference, which kicks off at the end of October. We're super excited about that. To find out more about our speakers and the event, go to heavendeclares.info. And for those of you who live in Nashville, Franklin area, tomorrow night, which is Labor Day here in America, there will be no emanate. So please don't show up. We're taking a night off. And thank you, Josh Parsons, for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. We love you.